Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 77 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. Today is August 5th, 2009. We have a really great show for you today. We're going to focus half the show on recruiting, half the show on the team with fall camp getting started this weekend, this close to kicking off the 2009 football season. So we're going to talk a little bit later on with Dan Weike, the uscfootball.com beat writer, kind of review what happened over the summer and then what's going to be coming up fall camp. The first part of the show, we, uh, we have Coach Hyde. He's going to have the uh, the week off. So we have Gerard Martinez batting leadoff coming to join us. He's going to answer all of your recruiting questions. Gerard, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a cool one. Uh, I know you enjoy the recruiting questions and you especially enjoy the international questions. We do have at least one of those for you today. So uh, you ready for a question from Denmark? Yeah, I love. I do love the international questions. <laughs> I mean, those are guys that are really, really trying hard to stay up with things. So, you know, I like the effort. I, I can appreciate it. Yeah, all right. Well, and if you have any questions for us, if you're in Denmark or anywhere else in the world, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. And I just wanted to uh, thank our sponsor for the first segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the website or you can give them a call 1-800-888-7287 you got dodgers and angels going on right now and of course usc football is coming up soon so just give them a call 800-888-7287 they're nice enough to sponsor our opening segment and normally like i said it's with coach harvey hyde uh we're gonna give him the week off we'll let gerard bat lead off like i said um gerard let's see let's go to uh the first question from Denmark, his name is Christian, and uh, he wanted to know if we could go through. I don't know if we well, probably don't have time to go through all these, but we'll go through a bunch of them. All of the five-star guys that are not currently committed, and right now I believe there's 17 or eight, 18 uh, five-star guys in the rivals 100. He wanted to talk about USC's chances with them. Um, you know, there's a there's not very many of these guys committed right now, and he just wants to know. You know how many of these guys really have a chance that, that you know have a chance to go to USC? Well, thankfully at this point, uh, there's not 35 stars, so we can try to uh, try to go through the list a little bit of uh, five-star guys. Um, I am looking at the list right now. Chantrell Henderson, number one player in the country, six eight, three hundred pound, probably closer to about 315, 320 pound, <laughs> off the tackle from St. Paul, Minnesota. USC has a very good shot at him. Uh, he has unofficially visited USC kind of been a little low on the radar since his unofficial visit, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but uh, very much interested in USC and has talked about USC in depth and uh, kind of was slow played a little bit with the offer, I guess you could say that. I mean, he was offered in May um, uh, and, you know, most of the schools that are recruiting him being as highly touted as he is recruited him very early in the process. So USC was a little late to the dinner table, but uh, they've definitely picked it up here uh, in the end. And, you know, it seems like he's really interested in USC and, and just, you know, a lot of the aspects of getting the NFL. I mean, that's a big deal for him, and I think uh, USC is a very good shot at him. They'll definitely get an official visit from him. Um, number two on the list is Lake Seastrunk. It's not Lachey. It's Lake Seastrunk, <laughs> a guy that uh, the Peristyle podcasters love to talk about. They love to ask us questions about him in various ways to get various answers um but uh, this is a kid that uh, usc they've seen him also on unofficial visits and uh he's been around and uh, right now you know there's a lot of talk about him going to auburn and you know lsu is definitely going to be there and i think lsu is a school that a lot of people got to worry about because they're hiding in the grass a little bit with him and uh but you you know usc's got a fair shot at him I mean, they need to get an official visit uh they need to work on him a little more but uh he's definitely a guy that uh, usc's going to have a shot at and they have a legitimate chance at uh ronald powell you know 6'3 225 pound defense Defensive end slash 
deep uh, slash linebacker slash tight end slash slot receiver. He's you know number one athlete in the country right now. They have him as the number one weak side defensive end, but I think quite frankly he's probably the number one athlete in the country. Um, just came back from Florida and uh, likes Florida a lot and um, went to the Friday Night Lights camp and uh, hung out there for the Top Gun camp, which was in Orlando afterwards, and uh, was dominant at the Friday Night Lights camp, was dominant at the Rising Stars camp at USC. Uh, he's been on USC's radar for a long, long time. Um, you know, USC's going to have a good shot at him, but Florida's definitely a serious contender. been saying that for months and months, um, but he's definitely intrigued by Florida, and, you know, he has to kind of see what's going on in terms of going away from home and, and getting a feel for whether he wants to uh, go that far to be playing for a, a championship-caliber football team. Um, number four on the list, Kyle Prater, 6'5", 200 pounds, uh, from Hillside, Illinois. He's the big receiver. He's one of the few big receivers in this class and um, a guy that's an elite guy. seems to be the consensus number one wide receiver in the country. I mean, everybody that I talk to that sees him in person is just blown away by him. And uh, even a lot of his peers, guys that play against him, are very impressed with him, and uh, he's a guy that's going to be coming out here uh, next week for an unofficial visit to USC. Watch him, and uh, I think they'll be in full pads at that time uh, for fall camp. So uh, you'd say USC's got a good shot. Definitely not one of those situations where I want to raise expectations um, for you know USC's chances with them because they're a long ways to go, and there's a lot of people recruiting Kyle Prater, but um, USC definitely has a good shot. So I mean. Out of the top four right there, you know, it's still, you know, USC's definitely in the ballpark with all those guys. And with the fifth guy, same thing. Jackson Jeffco came out for the Rising Stars camp, 6'5", 235 pounds, defensive end, son of Jim Jeffco, great player, came down and, and showed that, you know, he was as good as the hype uh, at defensive end when he, you know, performed at the Rising Stars camp. Um, very good player. He's been, you know, kind of non-existent with interviews. It's really hard to see you know, where he's leaning towards. It's been Texas, OU, being Oklahoma, and SC here for uh, the past few months. And a lot of people feel like, you know, maybe it's an OU-SC thing. Uh, hard to tell, but USC's definitely got a shot at him. And him coming out here for the Rising Stars camp, which is, which is a big uh, move. It was a battle won for USC in the larger war, uh, which will be his uh, commitment. You know, this will probably come down towards signing day, uh, possibly a little sooner than that. But um, a lot of these guys that we're talking about right here, they're going to be signing day decisions, which being, you know, the majority of them out of state guys, that's cool with USC. I mean, you know, you're, you're trying to get a kid from hostile territory. Uh, you're not necessarily looking for him to commit early. And, in fact, going back to Kyle Prater, I think um, USC doesn't necessarily need to be a leader this early on in his recruitment. And he actually named USC as his number one school uh, just this last week. So we'll see. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him from the Midwest to stay home. And now a lot of schools are going to be looking out for USC. Um, uh, seven Jordan, thousand, or, excuse me. One second, Jordan. Let me, let's stop right there. So you mentioned the top four, top five guys. I mean, no, no school has ever signed the top you know, five guys in a recruiting class. And obviously these guys can change. But USC has a legitimate shot at all five of these guys. I mean, that, and you know, Four of them being from out of state. I mean, that that just seems ridiculous. That's you know, it's impressive, and it just goes to show you that USC's national recruiting prowess is as good as it's ever been. You know, and and all the talk that you get with you know these these reports of sanctions and 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 all these kind of things that happen, it really hasn't stopped USC from going out and being able to attract this national talent. And these kids are very very interested in the program still, and they still see a lot of bright things with USC and the coaching staff. So um, yeah, I mean, all these guys are. I wouldn't say locks for official visits, but they're really, really close to being so. I mean, you know, Henderson has is, is already said he's for sure going to visit USC. Seastrunk, you know, there'll probably be a little bit misdirection there, but I think he'll eventually visit USC officially. Powell will officially visit. Prater has already talked about an official visit. You know, unless he really hates his unofficial visit, I don't think that's going to change. And Jeff Coates has already talked about officially visiting USC for sure. So, yeah, top five. You, I mean, you get an official visit, you're in the ballgame. And USC, that's an official visit that can change things. And, you know, even if they're behind on a recruit, uh, sometimes the penalty can kind of swing the other way when you get an official visit to Los Angeles. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, we talk about recruiting a lot, and there's a lot of recruiting fans out there, but for the casual USC fan that's more just into watching the team, even if they hear something like that, even if they got three of those five, I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous number. And, uh, and, and you know, Henderson, they've got big name guys. You know, Carroll's got into Minnesota and got the best player in that state before. You know, they've got big name guys out of Texas. Obviously, you know, Ronald Powell, you'd have to say is a favorite. You know, USC's got to be a favorite there. It's not a lock, but of course, you know, being a local kid, 
And, uh, you know, they've, they've done really well with out-of-state big receivers. So, I mean, it just that's for Prater as well. It just seems like there's a lot of, you know, you might not get any of them, but, you know, most likely you're going to at least get a couple of them, and a chance to get all five is it just seems crazy. Yeah. Number six, you know, talking about big receivers on the list is Darius White, and he's a big kid out of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, not quite as big as originally advertised. Uh, I think he was listed as 6'4 for a while. Now they've actually changed him officially to 6'2", which is kind of what I heard from other people. wasn't quite as tall or as big as he'd been advertised previously. Um, USC's in his top three. A lot of people think he's going to go to Oklahoma. So that's kind of the first guy on the list where you would say, eh, probably a long shot. But he says, quote-unquote, and you know you have to take certain things with a grain of salt, but he says, Darius White, um, that uh, he for sure wants to visit USC. So we'll see how that happens. Um, if it you know ends up going through or maybe you know something happens where he decides to commit early. You never know, especially with Texas kids. You know, they're all over the map sometimes with that stuff. Uh, number seven on the list is uh, Marcus Lattimore. USC's really not recruiting him. Um, um, so I would say they have no shot at him. <laughs> uh, Matt Elam is uh, number eight. Uh, USC really not recruiting him either. Uh, committed to Florida. Will probably stay committed to Florida from everything I know. Uh, although he said he does want to take some official visits. I don't think USC would be one of them. Uh, Sharif Floyd. USC's kind of, uh, I've heard rumblings, maybe they're dancing around with him a little bit in the background, maybe some recruiting going on, um, but nothing solid. And so at this point, you'd have to say they don't really have any shot at him until they actually officially offer him 6'3", 310 pounds defensive tackle. Seems like a guy, you know, from Philadelphia that USC would look at and target being from a big city and being a defensive tackle, which are hard to find. Uh, but at this point, can't really say USC has a great shot of him. Uh, Jeff Luke is number 10 on the list and uh, probably the best linebacker in the country, 6'1", 230 pounds uh, from Port St. Lucie's. Uh, really a, 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 an explosive uh, just muscular guy. I mean, you watch him play, you're just like, wow, he's probably one of the more muscular, impressive-looking guys that we've ever seen come out of high school. Uh, people were asking about Keith Rivers and, you know, what about Ray Maluga? Not like this kid. This kid looks like he's a bodybuilder right now. Uh, he looks like something out of WWE. Um, and USC's probably going to get an official visit from him. Uh, getting him out of the state of Florida, probably difficult i would say moderate long shot still um you got to wait for these kids to officially visit and and then get a feel from there you know as to whether they're really serious or not and whether they can really travel away from home so at this point you'd still have to say moderate long shot now james hurst at uh, indianapolis another offensive lineman committed to north carolina uh, not being recruited by usc uh, demarcus milner not being recruited by usc uh, defensive back 6'1", 180, committed to Alabama, uh, was called out uh, after the uh, Gridiron Kings 7-on-7 seven -seven tournament in Orlando by a lot of the California guys who were playing in that tournament said that uh, he was not the real deal and uh, was a little overrated, but uh, that's kind of neither here nor there. Uh, number 13 is Chris Martin, who was living in um, Oakland, and now he's moved to Princeton, New Jersey, going to the Hun School, uh, committed to Notre Dame defensive end. A guy that floated around with USC, uh, liked USC a lot early in the recruiting process, but um, I, I think it just didn't happen. Uh, whether USC revisits that or not is going to be difficult. He looks like he's definitely growing into the defensive end. And with guys like Powell and Jeff Coe, on the target list really high, and then and USC having a shot at both those guys. I don't know where a guy like Chris Martin really fits in. I mean, they really want to look at him more as a, a linebacker, and I don't think linebacker is going to be where he's going to play. Um, number 14 on the list is Jamarcus Russell, uh, or excuse me, Jamarcus Russell, LaMarcus Joyner, kind of spaced out there for a second. Uh, he's cornerback, 5'8", 166 from uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale. St. Thomas Aquinas High School, great high school there in, in Fort Lauderdale, produce a bunch of players, really good program. Um, USC might have a shot at getting an official visit with him. Uh, a lot of people at this point are, are pointing to Ohio State and Florida State being his leaders. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of really good cornerbacks locally for USC. They really don't need to go to South Florida to recruit a guy. Um, he's a really good player, but uh, yeah, you'd have to say that's a long shot just because of you know where he is. Uh, where he's looking and the fact that they've got talent closer to home that they were to recruit. Uh, Michael Dyer not being recruited by USC. He's a running back from Arkansas, uh, a little bowling ball type running back, 5'8", 200 pounds. Robert Woods, we all know Robert Woods being recruited heavily by USC. And, um, you know, you would... USC loves Robert Woods. Uh, Rivals doesn't love him quite as much. Um, they have him 16 on the list, uh, rated as an athlete, but at this point he's being recruited by USC as a receiver. And 
I still had to say 50-50 uh, with USC, um, UCLA might be tipping a little bit in USC's favor uh, with uh, some of the recent commitments that they've had, but we'll see. You know, it's going to be one of those ones that's going to go down to the wire. It's going to be pretty difficult um, fight uh, for that. It's going to be local, and you know, locals, local guys who are down to UCLA, USC guys like Randall Carroll, there's always drama at the end, so we'll have to see how that one plays out. That's going to be an exciting one uh, right down to the wire. And then 17 on the list, which is actually currently the last five-star, which is unique. Usually they have more five-stars at this point in the year, uh, Rivals.com, but the only uh, have 17 this year, and the last five-star on the list is J.R. Ferguson, defensive tackle out of uh, Virginia, actually transferred into Hargrave Military Academy, which is a little bit different, kind of did the uh, Vidal Hazelton thing. Um, he is uh, pretty open right now, East Coast kid, has unofficially visited USC, liked USC a lot, 6'3", 275, can play defensive end, probably more of a defensive tackle. We'll see. I would say, you know, another guy we want to see kind of take an official visit before we'd make any real predictions that USC has a good shot in him. Uh, but they're legitimate shot. Anytime a kid comes in unofficially on his own dime, comes all the way across the country to visit a school, you have to say that he has some legitimate interest in that school. So, um, you know, he's interested. How much? How interested he is? Well, we'll wait and see if he returns for an official visit down here. So that's uh, basically a summary of the five stars and where USC stands with each guy. That's all the five stars. Thanks, Gerard. And uh, just to let you know, if you want to see where that list is, you can look at the Rivals 100 or the Rivals 250. Check out uscfootball.com. Click on Football Recruiting and Rankings. You can see all the rankings in there. Um, Christian from Denmark had a follow-up question, Gerard, and uh, with USC in big need of linebackers, and it's not a great linebacker class, do you think it's more important to get guys like Jeff Luke, who you mentioned, Fort, Hicks, or Pullard? Uh, well, can, okay, because I went through all that, I'm going to make this one short one. <laughs> no problem, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, you, it's not a deep class. There's not a lot of guys on the target list. So, yeah, definitely can't strike out on too many guys. Um, you want to have a little bit of depth in your class uh, because they didn't uh, grab, uh, you know, some of the guys they wanted last year, and they lost, you know, four guys who were starting experience at linebacker last year. And then Frankie Telford, obviously that situation uh, makes the need even more. So, yeah, you know, I mean, definitely can't strike out the guys that are on the board that uh, are looking at USC become that much more important. So, yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, thanks, Christian, for that. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention at the top of the, top of the show, a week ago we did our little uscfootball.com dinner. And I'll talk with uh, Dan Weike a little bit. He was one of our speakers there. Um and you know, Gerard was on hand checking everyone out. We we filled up uh, National Sports Grill their back room. I was pretty impressed. It was our first dinner we've had like that in a couple years, and we you know filled up the room. We had some cool prizes to give away. Um, we've done a few in the past, and usually we would have Gerard get up and speak about recruiting. And we kind of made a decision this time to just you know we had you know Yogi Roth speak. We also had. Uh, um, Bruce Feldman speak, Dan Weike spoke, I kind of emceed the whole thing. We said, oh, you know, we'll just save Gerard for the end and just have him answer recruiting questions. But I guess what we found out, if, if Gerard wasn't up there talking about recruiting, everyone just kept asking about the team stuff. So we had Gerard up there to answer questions, and we didn't get any recruiting questions, which I think is some kind of record because we always, always Gerard. I mean, Gerard, I mean, how many times people come up to you and talk recruiting? All the time. So it was kind of surprising to me you didn't get any questions at the dinner. Not until after um, the Q and A. Yeah, then people <laughs> come up. Maybe to you. people feel like recruiting's on the low, on you know, kind of under the radar. But I personally am never going to talk about anything in public, whether it's Q and A or even afterwards. You know, that is private. You know, regardless. So uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's like the email thing. You know, I always get those emails now and again. Who are the silent verbals for USC? Well, <laughs> you know, they're silent for a reason, guys. But I hope you had a good time. Anyway, I think you know everyone I talked to seemed to have a really fun time, and we gave some cool prizes away. Mike Richardson made these awesome prints that he framed, and we we uh, raffled off. Mike Richardson rocks. Let's He's just take awesome. this moment to say that Mike Richardson is is pretty much an ass kicker in all realms. He kicked. Uh, you know, he brings these like ten thousand dollar lenses and volunteers to take pictures and framed. I thought he was just going to print out some pictures that he had taken. No, he had them framed, and it was it was pretty amazing. So. Uh, Thanks to uh, thanks to Mike for doing that, and then thanks to everyone showing up. We'll definitely do some more of those in the future. I think we found a cool venue. I definitely would like to do some in other parts uh, of Southern California, Orange County, 
people have talked about downtown and stuff, but at least locally, I think we can do some events there. We can get a bunch of people and, you know, the fact we had to bring in more chairs and everything. So it was, uh, we might have to rearrange. I'm all for closer, man. I'm all for closer, the closer to the IE. The IE is where Gerard wants. Okay. Not, not really. I just, you know, South Orange County is good. It's a good drive. South, driving south for me is good. Driving out to Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But what, you know, we put up some pictures and everything. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully everyone had a good time, and I'll, uh, I'll let people know on the podcast. We had a lot of people come up and talk, said they heard about it on the podcast, so we'll definitely let you guys know when we do the next one. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to do one in August, but we'll you know definitely try for September. Maybe we'll do during an away game or something. Uh, all right, let's get back to the questions since we got a bunch of them. Uh, this one's from David. It's kind of uh, He's wanted to know, how often do you think kids are overrated by recruiting services you know, like Rivals.com? just because they get an offer from a top 10 recruiting school like a Notre Dame or a USC, stuff like that. How often do you think something like that hap- it happens? 48.7% of the time. That no, makes sense. Um, okay. <laughs> I had it down to a science. Um, early on in the process, it happens a lot. Kind of like, I would you know compare it to college football preseason polls. Um, you know, they're based on something that happened last year. They're based on notoriety, what a team did last year, guys they got coming back. It's all paper champions. And that's kind of sort of what happens, I think, early on in the recruiting process with kids. Um, you're looking at, uh, you know, what, what they obtain in terms of um, if they went to a camp, maybe, uh, you know, their sophomore, junior year did really well, or, you know, maybe they're all state or they, you know, have some type of uh, great stat, ran for 3,000 yards, old district, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously you get an early offer from a team, a uh, big school, and everybody takes notice. Uh, and, and, and when it's early in the process, there hasn't been as much evaluation done on those kids. So, you know, everybody kind of follows the line and says, well, he's got an offer from Oklahoma, and he's got an offer from Florida, and he's got an offer from Texas A&M. Well, that kid must be somebody. You know, because these college coaches who get paid professionally to do this all day have already offered them. So, you know, I, we don't want to look stupid, so we're going to jump in line and, you know, he's guys got to be one of the top 100 kids in the country. And that's where you get watch lists from. And watch lists, you know, obviously influence um, the more important, you know, post-evaluation list. But as the year goes on, guys will start to fall a little bit. And you'll see, you know, guys get picked out of the 100 and, you know, people have seen him a couple times. It's like that kid's just not that good, regardless of how many offers he has or where he's committed. That kid's just overrated. And then you'll see guys drop. And you see some significant drops. And I'm of, you know, the opinion that I don't think it needs to be I just think when you drop a kid 60 spots or some crazy thing, just like when you raise a kid, you know, 90 spots in the rankings, that's more for uh, controversy and the, the, the business of rankings, and it really is evaluation because I, I just think it's kind of silly. And I understand why kids would take it personal. You know, I mean, T.J. Bryant took it very personal when he was a five-star recruit and then ended up out of the Rivals 100. I think he was below the Rivals 150. He was, he was barely in the 250. I mean, to have that happen in one foul swoop, it's like, I mean, how much can you see that all of a sudden your your opinion changes that much? Um, so, but as it goes, you know, later in the year and you see more kids, I think rivals and, and the recruiting, I don't want to call them services, but publications um, start to become a little more confident in what they've seen. And they'll go against some of these offers and they won't jump in line anymore and just say, well, you know what, he's got a million offers. Uh, forget it. He's got to be a five-star. It doesn't really happen. I think you get a little bit, I mean, it depends on who's giving the offer as well. Like a, if it's a, you know you get a new coach like Tennessee and they're going to give like a you know hundreds of offers out as opposed to like a Pete Carroll where he's very particular and, and choosy I think that kind of makes a difference you know you could have a you know it just seems like that would change things you know if, and someone like Pete Carroll giving an offer might get a little more attention than some of the other schools that would give one that they kind of generate a lot more scholarship offers than than what a USC does. I'll say this, and I won't quote who said it, but it is somebody who is on the committee at Rivals.com who does the rankings, said uh, the standard for national offers, the standard for who's getting offers and who's not, as far as what we look at, is still USC. Uh, Florida offers a lot of guys verbally, and they're just, they just throw them out there. They're, they're not real offers, and you just don't really know who they like and who they don't, not, don't like based on their offer sheet. It means nothing. Um, and there's a lot of schools like that. 
USC, they offer a kid, you know that kid is legitimate. That's that's the way at least the national uh, analysts at Rivals.com look at it. Texas is another school that has a lot of respect from the publications because they don't just go out there and throw offers out there just because. They like certain guys because of certain reasons, and you know that the evaluation has been there. Now, they do their evaluations a lot earlier, and that gets them into trouble because, I mean, right now, as we speak, they're evaluating the 2011 class and looking at who they need to offer. They've already probably done that at this point. They are ahead of the cycle, and that with Texas football, you can do that a little more because you've got a lot more exposure with Texas football. Um, kids have been playing football there for a long time. It's just the system of Texas football, and there's positives and negatives to that. Another can of worms, we won't get into that at this point, but um, you can you can evaluate kids a lot earlier and kind of see what's going on with them and, and maybe have a better feel for that. Um, so, you know, that, that that's something that can get them in trouble. Sometimes it's a good thing, but, you know, in terms of the guys they're going to offer, they're not just going to throw offers out there willy-nilly. You know, Tennessee had 85 offers out there in March. I mean, USC doesn't even have 85 offers out there right now. So, um, that's, you know, just a comparison to how things are done, and USC's just very respected still in how they do things. All right. Uh, let's wow, we're we're uh, we're going pretty long this segment. That's okay. We're talking lots of recruiting today. We got a few more questions. We'll try to uh, bang them out for you so we get everybody's questions answered. Uh, this is from Martin. He had two parter. First part, he's heard that uh, USC could work out Trayon Trayon Briggs at fullback. Dylan Baxter could be a wide receiver. So having said that, DJ Morgan could be the only true running back. In this class, does this open up USC to try to bring in one more running back recruit to the class of 2010? Obviously, this kind of uh, the the one name that everyone would want to talk about is uh, the guy we've already mentioned at the top of the show, at the top of the segment, Lake Seastrunk, the number two player in the country, running back out of Texas. Yes, I, I think it was bailed uh, uh, very poorly. Seastrunk, um, <laughs> Seastrunk. Tell me about Seastrunk. Tell me he's coming to USC. Um, yeah, uh, no, I think, Gerard, I think I, it I, started when you, uh, reported that he was wearing USC socks at the, uh, army all American, uh, combine. I think ever since then, USC fans have been wondering when is he going to commit to USC? And Lake loves it too. I mean, Lake eats it all up. And that's what people don't understand is that kids, you know, that have been, you know, exposed to the process as early as he has. Um, for the most part, you know, some of them don't know how to handle it, but he just enjoys it. You know, he knows what he's doing. And, you know, I've had a chance to just hang out with Lake a little bit and he's that kind of dude, you know, he, he knows he's going to wear us USC socks to the national underclassmen combine at the Alamo dome. And you've got everybody and their brother there. You got people from ESPN, you got people from rivals, you got people from all over the place. And, I mean, that's going to be the talk of town. And so it wasn't a kind of like, oh, uh, I didn't even think about it. I just put on my USC socks today because I really <laughs> like them. It's like, no, 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 no. But, um, you know, does it open up the door with the versatility of the other running backs? Surely. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, you know, Baxter's a tremendous receiver. Uh, DJ Morgan's a tremendous receiver. Uh, you know, Traylon Briggs, USC likes him a lot. It's a guy that, you know, we're going to actually write a story about him here in the next day or so and um, talk a little bit about the camp scene and people get caught up in the camp scene and like, oh, he wasn't look good, didn't look good at a camp and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but he's a power running back. You put pads on the kid and you're getting a different result from him. So, you know, USC's pretty high on him still. Uh, does it open the door for another running back? It opens the door for another running back that's really good. Um, USC's not just looking for another running back. Seastrunk would be good enough that I think USC, they still have the door open for him. Um, now, when you're talking about other guys like uh, – yeah, maybe Dante Williams, maybe, maybe, you know, he was really good at the Rising Stars camp. Um, at this point, they haven't offered. He's looking elsewhere. Some talk he might even end up at Oregon here pretty soon. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's definitely a, a standard. There's a level there. I mean, they're they're looking, but I don't know if your name isn't C-Strunk that you're going to get an offer or that USC has room for you. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. The second part of the question was, what do you think? Uh, what do you th the recruits have you talked to? What do you think they like about the new coaches and the staff and what their recruiting style is like? What have you heard anything from them on kind of you know what, any feedback from the recruits on what some of these new coaches have done on the recruiting trails? Um, not the the majority. No, uh, I mean there's three new coaches. Uh, Jeremy Bates is kind of in the 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 
weird Lancaster kind of Fresno area a little bit. Um, so I mean, it hadn't been a lot of guys. I mean, Christian Thomas is a guy that he's recruiting, but obviously, you know, he's yet to uh, to make his decision, and he's still teeter-tottering between UCLA and USC, and then there's some other schools that I'm sure if he takes official visits to, he'll be in love with those schools. Uh, so kind of hard to get a vibe um, from him on the recruiting trail. Um, I know Brian Schneider's been down in Orange County, and Orange County's kind of void of talent, at least for the skill players this year and uh, last year. Um, so, you know, not really heard much uh, about him, um, I know he's a talented recruiter, though. He actually was recruiting the Inland Empire for UCLA uh, many years ago and uh, was one of the guys recruiting Alan Bradford. And uh, Alan Bradford and his dad both spoke very highly of Brian Schneider saying, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, we spoke to Brian Schneider probably 100 times more than we ever spoke to Carl Durrell or any of those other guys. And that was a real reason why UCLA was a school that we thought seriously about because of Brian Schneider. Um, but with USC, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of uh, area. And, and they I don't know if they really let him go to be like a big-time recruiter at this point. Um, Jethro Franklin has gotten a lot of good reviews. Um, you know, he has Xavier Grimble uh, committed. Um, that's his area. Uh, that was his guy in unison with Brennan Carroll, who was a big factor in there as well, obviously the tight end position. Um, you know, and we already talked about him closing the deal with Devon Kennard last year. That was a big deal. That was pressure situation, running their solo. Uh, Pete Carroll and, and Brandon had already been in there and their in-home visit, and uh, that was the day that Nick Holt was supposed to be on the in-home as well, and he ended up going to Washington that day, which I think surprised some people. And so, uh, you know, Jethro Franklin closed closed the deal there. So, I mean, he, he he's going to be in there in, in that region. And um, I've heard really good things about him. He's recruiting Christian Westerman, and he's a guy that's a 2011 offensive tackle. is going to be a five-star level kid. I'm going to tell you right now, he's a five-star level kid. And USC's got a real good shot at him. So, yeah, I mean, Jethro Franklin's definitely done some good things. Kind of hear from the team, you know, his personality, his character, and how he is uh, with those players. Um, that's kind of reflected on the recruiting trail as well. Kind of hear the same things from recruits with him. All right. And the uh, last question, this one's from George. He is a USC fan since 1946. Um, he says, with USC needing at least two and probably three offensive linemen, and with Jake Matthews opting for Texas A&M, are there any linemen flying under the radar that might get an offer from USC? And why hasn't more been said about Chris Ward from modern day high school? He seems like he should be fairly highly rated. Yeah, there's a lot of guys flying under the radar, mainly because this is just not a great year for linemen in California. <laughs> so the majority of the guys that USC is going to have to look at, besides Giovanni DiPaolo, are going to be guys that you would consider kind of under the radar. Although, you know, USC is going to evaluate them a lot, so it's not like they're going to be under the radar for USC. Um, I think locally you have to look at guys like Michael Christ. Um, he's a 6'5", 285-pound offensive tackle from Mission Viejo. Uh, good body. Didn't have the greatest camp at the lineman camp at USC, but maybe he's a kid that with some potential, maybe some athleticism that you, you build him up uh, later on here. Um, Jay Barlow is a real kind of a smaller guy, plays center for Helix High School. Uh, he's about 6'2", maybe 265. Um, really athletic kid, really athletic, really mobile. And you think, you know, for that center position, um, if USC decides to kick the Apollo out um, to maybe playing tackle or guard, uh, maybe they still look at a guy like Jay Barlow. He's pretty short. USC doesn't really go after guys that are that short. But um, he's a you know, potential guy that they could look at down the line. Um, you know, Corn Brooks is a guy that had a 33-inch vertical leap at USC. And he's another guy who's not real tall. He's in that 6'2 range and uh, a little heavier, probably about 270, 275. Saw him at UCLA. looked pretty good at UCLA as well. He came to the Rising Stars camp and, like I said, had a good testing um, debut but didn't really – I didn't see him do a lot in one-on-one drills or, you know, stand out that way. Um, you know, Nick Rowland was a guy that uh, from Arizona who's about, yeah, probably 6'4", 300-plus, um, was a little more of a standout in one-on-ones. He is kind of the opposite of Barlow in terms of athleticism, though. Not a real athletic guy, didn't really run real well. Um, so, you know, USC kind of seems to be shifting more towards the athletic uh, linemen. They don't want the big guys necessarily, you know, even though Dakota Smith is a guy that could potentially play offensive line to 6'7", 335 pounds. So, um, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess you've got to have balance there. So, But currently it seems like the guys that are more athletic are the guys that uh, they're favoring um, or recruiting a little harder. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, are there guys under the radar? There's lots of guys under the radar, and you're going to have to probably get a guy at this point under the radar um, that uh, to, to, to have a, a full five 
you know, a class with offensive linemen because there's just not enough in-state guys that are really good players or, or out-of-state guys I think that you're going to be able to load up with. Um, Chris Ward, the kid who he was hurt last year for the majority of the year, didn't show up to any camps um, that I that I can recall. Um, I don't recall seeing him in a, either USC camp. Um, so that's the guy you want to evaluate. I mean, he comes in and, and, he's, and he's hurt. Uh, you want to see him at one of your camps and, and kind of see how he's recovered from that injury, kind of see what his athleticism is, uh, see you know how tough he is. He's going to probably get further evaluation down the line here, but um, didn't really do himself much justice in not coming to any camps. So that's pretty much why you haven't heard much about Chris Ward. All right. Well, Gerard, I think this might have been our longest recruiting segment ever, so nice job. Hopefully uh, everyone enjoyed the answers to your questions, and uh, keep sending them in, podcast at uscfootball.com. And, Thanks for coming in and answering everyone's questions, Gerard. No problem at all. I, I appreciate them and always appreciate the interest in the recruiting angle of things. Yes, and Gerard definitely knows his stuff. Uh, everyone else, we're going to have a 30-second break. We'll be back talking USC football with Dan Weike. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Special guest this segment, we have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weike here in studio. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me in your, in your lovely home. Yes, it's a, it's a little cleaner, I think, than the last time you were in here. It's been a been a crazy week or so and uh, last week i think everyone had a lot of fun we uh, mentioned this in the first part of the podcast we had our uscfootball.com dinner over at uh, national sports grill in torrance and i think everybody had a good time you were you were uh, the first speaker up there you did a really good job threw me right to the wolves yeah no, i think it was good uh you know everyone got there you know a lot of information you kind of went through every position and stuff because as you know summer workouts are now finished this is the the week off, the one of maybe two and a half or three weeks off that USC football players get every year. And, of course, fall camp starts up on Saturday. So lots of stuff going on. Yeah, it's been very exciting. You know, um, it was really fun to be around the guys over the last week to kind of to watch that excitement sort of percolate. Um, you know, that's one of, the, I think, the, the most interesting things about USC. I may have mentioned this before. I may not have. I, I don't know. But um, is the way they kind of balance fun and hard work. I think, especially when, when they don't have coaches out on the field. It, it's it's really remarkable. I mean, when you think about it, they're a bunch of young guys, um, and you usually associate youth with a certain amount of irresponsibility. I know that I've used that as a crutch over the years. <laughs> so, and, and you are now 28 years old, and uh, happy belated birthday. And thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I think it's just fun to watch those guys kind of have a good time, but at the same time get their work in. Um, they, were, they were having a great time, I know, at the last record. I think they're just ready to get out there and hit people. Um, you know, you go through these workouts for so long, especially if you're a lineman and you don't really get any contact and, and those guys are just hungry for it. Um, those first few hits, um, I think it'll be three practices in, I believe is pads. Um, and you know, I think that'll be a really fun day for these guys just because they've been waiting for that since, you know, since the huddle really. Yeah, I mean, getting the pads on, it's a big deal. It's fun to watch the skill guys go out and catch balls or DBs making plays, but it, you can't get a full sense of... We get a lot of questions on, how does Devon Kennard look? Well, he's he's in shorts. You know, it's really hard to tell. Once yeah, the pads yeah. come on, it's a whole different story. I mean, he looks fast right now, but yeah. it's hard to tell. You know, no one's really trying to block him that well. And, and you know, the same thing goes with running backs, I think, too. It's really hard to get a sense for how those guys are. I mean, guys look like they're hitting holes hard, but, you know, the holes aren't closing the same way they would if, you know, there was full contact. So it's tough, but, you know, you get a good sense for, I guess, whose head's in the right place and stuff like that. And, and really, um, you know, all signs point to that being a really positive thing that right now guys have a really good attitude. Um, we'll see if that continues, you know, as we get into fall camp. But it just seems like guys are in the right spot. They're ready to move forwards, and, and you know, they're very excited for this season. 
All right. Well, let's get. We got a bunch of questions on the team and uh, fire away. Yeah, let's Harvey Hyde was it was in Las Vegas and uh, so he what we wasn't be able to do the show this week. So we're going to have all the team questions. We kind of split them up usually between Coach Hyde and Dan. We'll do them all. Dan and myself will handle. Should all I of that try to week. sound like Harvey Hyde while I answer him? Get all uh, excited and, and gruff or no, no, no. We love okay. Harvey. We love Harvey, and I, I'm sure you know Harvey's fans. He'll be back next week. No worries about that. Uh, okay, so the first question is from Mark. He wanted to know about. Luther Brown, and uh, there's always kind of an issue. You know, he's been out there all summer mm-hmm. uh, working out. You know, so it didn't seem like there was an injury problem. It seemed like he was healthy. You know, and it looks like there's always been kind of injury problems. And then I think uh, Michael Levitt, the OC Register, had a story about uh, PC. You know, Pete Carroll being concerned about his academic status and stuff. And yeah, that's nothing we really heard of before. What, what do you think the latest is on Luther Brown? What's going on there? I mean, the academic situation is is fairly serious to the extent where Pete Carroll at media day said that, you know, he doesn't think Luther is going to be with them this year. Um, you know, he said that he wasn't working out with the team. Um, he's been out at the workouts that we've seen. Um, the thing about Luther at this point too, is, um, you, you talk to him and you ask him, you know, what's going on? Everything cool. And he'll be like, yeah, everything's great. You know, I'm feeling really healthy. I remember I had that conversation with him last year. That's kind of when I learned about about how to deal with them um you know i had a conversation with him last year at a practice and i and i asked him you know you think you'll get cleared you know are you ready to come back he's like yeah i'll be back no problems um the next day p carroll said that he was going to be out for another four weeks so (laughs) so it's like you know you never really know um exactly where he's coming from i think he's one of those guys that wants to always put a really positive face on everything even though there might be real problems um this certainly sounds like a real problem um I don't think, and I got this kind of um, feeling when talking to Pete Carroll in the spring, that they're really counting on him for anything. Um, I I don't know. Obviously, I think the academic thing only makes it worse, but from an injury standpoint, I know that they feel like he's not reliable. They don't have him as as a real option. They can't pencil him into the first team or even the second team, really, because they just don't. They just don't think he'll be out on the field, and it, it hurts them because they could use a guy with his versatility and his experience because they're so thin at linebacker. But he's a guy, would it shock me to see him out practicing for a little while? Yeah, I don't expect major contributions from Luther Brown this year, though, just based on his track record. Now, that just to give a little background here, the, the person asking this question was actually, I believe, was working at the same firm where Luther Brown interned and was didn't really, I mean, he was a little... You know, I guess weirded out by the academic stuff. He says the way that Luther Brown presented himself didn't seem like a kid that would have academic problems. But I mean, I think we've seen this numerous times. You can have a really, you know, cool guy, well-spoken kid. It does, I mean, that doesn't really. I mean, does Mitch Mustaine strike you as somebody who had an academic yeah. issue? I mean, you it's know. just it's there's a lot more to it than just you know you can be smart and still have academic problems. And that's amen think, to that. Yeah. That was what sounds like my <laughs> college career, but. Uh, no, I mean it's just one of those things where I think that he just puts that that face on, and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to make any any character judgments on Luther Brown. I don't really know him that well, um, but just from the times that I've dealt with him, I know he has told me things that were very quickly proven to be the opposite. So it wouldn't none of this really shocks me with him. Um, I don't think they're counting on him. I get the impression that when Pete Carroll talks about him, he gets a little annoyed. He's almost a little annoyed that this problem exists. I mean, really, <clears throat> Luther Brown's been in the program long enough where he shouldn't be having academic issues no. at this point. I mean, he's been around long enough. And, you know, the fact that he is, coupled that with the fact that, you know, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, coupled by the fact that he may have been cleared before even and still kind of on his own didn't think he was ready to go. Maybe the coach has questioned his toughness. I, I, I don't know. Um, but there's something more there to the extent where it, the coaches aren't counting on him. His name very rarely comes up when discussing linebackers unless you ask about it specifically. All right. Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, next one's from Mickey. He's a uh, 40-plus-year Trojan follower. Uh, this kind of He's a little bit concerned, not with Pete Carroll, but just this kind of stuff that's going around. And, uh, you know, there's the Reggie Bush stuff that happened a few years ago, and then the, uh, the um, assistant whatever uh, the Pete Rodriguez teams. stuff yeah, yeah. so okay. I just want to kind of comment on that if what's the situation there right now um I think you know that USC feels like they went through the proper channels on the Pete Rodriguez thing that where <clears throat> before they brought him in they went through compliance 
And they, and they asked, and compliance said, okay, if you do it like this, it's fine. They did it like that, and they felt like it's fine. Um, that being said, it, it sounds like a lot of you know, interpretation type stuff, the difference between coaching and monitoring game film and, and stuff like that and monitoring the game and what that really means. Can you break down film? Can, do you have to watch the game on your own? Um, who can you actually talk to? Um, you know, the amount that he was a paid consultant versus just a volunteer. Um, there's, there's a lot of little things like that. Um, probably not more than a secondary, um, violation. If it is anything, um, I wonder if they'll self-report it. I don't know if the NCAA is going to look into it. Um, I think the one question that you have to ask is that if they did go through compliance, this isn't the first time that they've had an issue with that. You have to start wondering, you know, well, maybe the compliance people need to, to bone up on some stuff because maybe Pete Carroll's getting bad advice or maybe he's just lying to everybody and maybe they didn't go through compliance. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, it's hard to tell, but it certainly seems like there's a pattern here and, and it, it, it is worrisome because the more little things that you add on to something like that, I think it gives a lot of these Reggie Bush allegations and stuff like that a little more weight eventually, even though they're completely unrelated. I think it just establishes a pattern and, and that's never good. Now, do I think it's going to really hurt USC anytime soon? I, I don't. I, I just haven't gotten that impression yet at all from anything. All right. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, kind of what happens there. I mean, all those little things start to it, – it creates a national sense. We talk, you know, uh, Bruce Feldman talked about this a little bit. Like, yeah, the more little things that pop up, it gives people, you know, SEC fans and stuff, look, USC is cheating again and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of comes up over and over. Pot Even meat the, kettle. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I know, but there's just, I mean, there's, this doesn't seem like a whole, a really big deal, so I wouldn't be too concerned, Mickey, but we'll have to see what happens. There's always a little stuff going on, and, uh, you know, sometimes you hear compliance is too strict, and other times they're too loose. I mean, if, if they need to know, there's a lot of interpretations and stuff, and we get, you know, you'll have different schools interpret rules different ways, and, yeah. you know, if Because you're if, always trying to find a, you're always trying to use those rules to your advantage. Yeah, but always. you don't want to be too conservative, you don't want to be too liberal, and I think it's, Sometimes we've seen this compliance office be a little of, of both, and I'm sure that happens all over the place. It just depends on how they interpret interpret the rules. And I think the problem that some people like Dennis Dodd, for instance, who is currently maybe public enemy number one on our message boards, <laughs> um, I think when he wrote what he wrote, um, which was very, very critical of USC, I think his kind of feeling was that at this point somebody needs to step in and say, you have to like keep your nose clean. Like on everything. And you, I mean, you have to understand these other investigations are out there and you have to be a thousand percent extra careful on everything you do. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to operate, but I mean, I think that people do need to understand that there is that extra cloud of kind of speculation about USC right now and about whether or not things are, everything's done kind of, you know, above the table or, or, or done legally um, in terms of the NCAA. And I think that. There has to be accountability at some points on for these little mistakes. Um, I mean, you look at Tennessee, for instance. I mean, they report a secondary violation every every, every day. day yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was looking to see if uh, your lovely Tennessee girl was floating <laughs> around. Boy, those vials are terrible. No, um, but yeah, no, like every day that they. I mean, it seems like they're doing something different that they shouldn't be doing. Now, obviously, a secondary violation is much much different than you know, you know, Reggie Bush getting you know thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars right two different things but again it just establishes that pattern that you don't want associated with the university all right well uh thanks for that mickey let's go to manny and rancho he uh manny he appreciated the uh, question we answered for him last week and his question this week is about patrick hall and uh you know we've he watched all the videos we put up there they're one-on-one seven-on-sevens team stuff looked like every freshman was out there except Patrick for Hall. the five-star Patrick Hall. Um, I guess we can both talk about it a little bit. What do you, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, he had some clients issues. Um, he's trying to get trying to get fully qualified. Um, everything that I've heard at this point is that he's moving in the right direction. He could be a guy who's there when camp starts. Could be a guy who's there kind of late, sort of like Nick Perry, Curtis McNeil were last year. Um, you know, in all honesty, probably not a huge deal this year because the way that the team is so loaded at safety. Um, which is where Patrick Hall is going to get his first look, probably a redshirt candidate anyway to begin with, just because there are so many guys there and they don't really need him. Um, but, you know, if he can play, he can play. And, and I think, you know, he'll get an opportunity not to redshirt. But 
I, I don't think it's a huge issue if he comes into camp late. Obviously, if he's not there, that kind of you have to reshift sort of your long term plans um, because I think he's a guy that they count on having back there for a number of years because he's so explosive and so athletic. Yeah, and I think he could have been been a big uh, special teams contributor as well. But we saw with Nick Perry and uh, you know Moody McNeil, like you said, when they came in late. I mean, they got in. But you're so far behind the eight ball. If you miss a lot of fall camp, that makes it really tough to catch up. If you miss up. a little of fall camp. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you miss a week, you know, it, it's it's just so hard. To, I mean, Bryce Butler, prime example, got injured early in fall camp, you know, and it was kind of like they kind of washed their hands of it and said, you know what, I mean, we could try to bring you back, but you're going to be behind. So it's best that you just redshirt, you kind of roll the dice and hope the guy keeps his head in the right spot and, you know, you don't want to use it. You don't want to burn that year eligibility on a guy who's who's hurt or doesn't know the offense or doesn't know the defense or something like that. So I would say he looks like he is a prime redshirt candidate at this point. All right. Next question is from Mary. I got a few emails from you. Mary, if you're out there listening, I think you uh, you put the entire question in the subject, so I, I then got cut off. So I don't know if there's any more to the question, but just make sure you put that in the body. We'll get to the full question for sure. But the gist of what you wanted to know was about Malcolm Smith, and you think he'd be ready – for fall camp yes. in the regular season. Yes. For I mean, sure. There's no problem. I think, you know, all signs point to him being okay. Um, the illness kind of came and went. Um, he doesn't look like he lost weight. Um, not a huge guy to begin with, so it's not like a huge – it's not a big deal if he did lose a couple pounds. Um, you know, and everything else just – I mean, he's been out there working out. Um, last time I talked to him, he said he was feeling a lot better, and, you know, he expects to be on the field. And for reserves, I mean, obviously no Frankie Telford. No Frankie We Telford. just talked about Luther Brown. Uh, I mean, it could put a lot of pressure on a guy like uh, Jarvis Jones, you know. The Jordan Campbell. Is, yeah, I mean, Campbell's probably will be that, like, you know, number four guy that just can, you know, play a couple different places and stuff, it seems like. you know. Well, I think they're going to keep him on the weak side. Um, I'm almost, you know, I would think at this point moving him would be kind of foolish. Jarvis Jones is a guy, though, who could play middle linebacker. Um, I I'm, I'm, haven't seen him in pads, so it's hard to tell if he's fast enough to play weak side. I know that in the USC defense that he would definitely be the biggest weak side linebacker they've had in, in a while. Um, he just be, from, from a size standpoint, um, you know, I mean, you've got guys like Kluka Maiava who, who flew around, I believe Keith Rivers before him was a weak side linebacker. Is that my, am I correct on that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and you know, Keith Rivers isn't a gigantic guy. No. Um, Jarvis Jones is a big, tall dude. Um, doesn't seem to fit what they like body wise at weak side linebacker weak side linebacker but if he can fly around and play i think he's a guy that they'll get he'll get a look over there um you know you could also maybe do some other stuff where you shuffle some guys around and, yeah. and you know i, I mean, mean that's kind of what i was referring to is that usually carol there'll be a depth chart and there'll be a number two guy at different positions yeah but with could mike campbell, morgan play weak side linebacker you think know, but with campbell it just seems like he's going to be the number four guy and if one of the top three gets hurt they will move it around so he's in there. Like, whoever gets moved, it just seems like he'll probably be a Maybe guy Malcolm Smith will maybe move. If Gillipo gets hurt, yeah, maybe I Malcolm mean, will move to the middle or something like that. Or It's not like a true depth chart because he will definitely has a pecking order of – it just seems to me. And maybe we'll see what happens in the fall. But it seems yeah. like he's going to be the, the fourth guy in there. Unless, unless you know, unless Jarvis Jones is a guy who, like you said, yeah. can replace him. But I think that's asking a lot of a, of a true freshman to come in and not only learn one spot but to know multiple spots. I think it was difficult. Um, you know, obviously, I think they had Frankie Telford penciled in as a guy that they were going to lean on um, sure. because of his smarts and because of his athleticism. But without him, you know, obviously, Jordan Campbell is a guy who who made the move to defense when he got to USC, has kind of had to sit and wait, and I think his patience kind of got affected. His confidence may, may have gotten affected some. But I think he's ready to, to run around and, and make some plays, too. He looked good in the huddle um, when Malcolm Smith was out. So, you know, I, th- I think at linebacker, it's going to be, you know, kind of cross your fingers, um, really. Um, if there's a spot on the team where they can't afford multiple injuries, it's there. Sure. I mean, two two injuries at linebacker, and you go from having Chris Calippo and Michael Morgan to, you know, Wona Cavienga and Jarvis Jones. And not to say that those guys aren't good players. You know, Wona, Wona I think, can be a good player. And I, I Jarvis Jones, by all accounts, looks like he's going to be a player, too. But... That's just such a drop-off. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens there. Well, uh, uh, one of the strengths of this team, you could say, is the defensive line. Uh, Martin wants to know if uh, – is this the biggest defensive line you've seen? 
no. at USC. And, you know, there are four guys that are basically defensive tackles playing at defensive end. You know, there are four guys across the line. I mean, when you got a guy like Armand Armstead, 290 pounds playing defensive end. Um, and, there's, you know, the second string, there seems to be a lot of speed. Are you really impressed with this unit? Um, I am impressed. I wouldn't – I don't think this is going to be a unit, though, that gets its reputation on being big. Um, I think what we saw in the spring with this is a unit that's going to get its reputation being fast. Um, more, more so than anything. Um, Jarrell Casey's big, but he's not the biggest nose tackle in the world. I'm, I mean, he's about 295 right now, but he's got great quickness. Um, you know, Averill Spicer isn't – I mean, he's nowhere near the size of a guy like Feely Moala. I mean, really, you look at those guys next to each other, Feely is like tw- looks like he's like twice the size. But, you know, Spicer's got quickness. Um, Armand Armstead is big, and I think he gives them some toughness on the defensive line and some size. But even he's fast. Um you know, Everson Griffin obviously is, is the fastest probably out of all of them off the ball. So I think this is a defensive line that has been impressive, but the reason they have been impressive is because of their speed, not necessarily their size. Um, I do think that one of the interesting things that we'll see kind of in camp, and, and they did a good job in the spring, is how they'll be against the run. They were great against the run in um, in the spring. Can they, can they continue? Because that's going to be where they're tested this year, it looks like, in the pack time. All right, yeah, we talked about that at Pac-10 Media Day. So much, five like guys returning with 1,000-yard. A lot of good running backs. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of good running backs. It'll be a conference. tougher conference this season for sure. Um, okay, this is a uh, Nihat. This is a question from Nihat. That's how he said he pronounces it. He's a Kurdish USC alumni. So I don't I think this is our first Kurdish USC alumni question we've had before. <laughs> uh, but he enjoys the show. He likes Co- Coach Hyde's dog barking. So we'll, you can hear him next week, I'm sure. Uh, so his question, the first part about was the running backs, and he wondered he wanted to know if the coaches have ever talked about not you know with so many limited chances are the running backs not really reaching you know their potential, and he would love to see a guy like Joe McKnight you know reach his potential and you know have some of those breakout games where you get twenty five carries and one hundred fifty yards stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't think that. That that's kind of in the plan for Joe. I think you know when they use Joe McKnight at his best, it's thirteen carries for one hundred and ten yards. Um, I think that's when you're getting the most out of Joe McKnight because he's just not never down back. Um, I, he just doesn't have that kind of makeup, that size. He's more of a guy who who can kind of kind of make really really big plays at times and stuff like that. I mean, and and I have a hard time too with and I've talked about this before with thinking of him as a guy who hasn't lived up to his potential because I mean. Injuries have hurt him, but he still averaged over seven yards a carry last year. Um, still made some really, really big plays. Obviously, I think he, he's a guy who wants to get back out on the field during special teams because he can be explosive there, but he's got to take care of the ball a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think that they have any indication that they're going to go to a system where they give guys 20 carries um, you know, unless a guy absolutely demands it um, in terms of his play. If, if Stephon Johnson were to come into camp and be, you know, a hundred times more effective than anybody else. I think they would consider giving Stephon Johnson the bulk of the carries. Wait, if he was a hundred times more effective, they would only consider giving him the bulk. Well, I mean, it still feels like <laughs> it still feels like that they've that they know that they've got other weapons, and that yeah, you know what like, I mean that yeah. that that they would still be like you know, well, Joe McKnight can do this, or C.J. Gable can do this thing, or Alan Bradford can do this thing, or you know, Stanley Havili even can do this thing. So I mean, there's always it's kind of more compartmentalized um, in their approach to how they they divvy up carries and plays. But I do think that um, those guys at this point are, are used to it. I don't think it's an issue. Um, I think it takes time for guys to get used to it. We'll see how Mark Tyler, Curtis McNeil get involved. Um, I know at the time in the spring, I thought for sure Curtis McNeil was going to be a very big part of the offense. I thought he'd be on the field a lot. I don't know that to be true anymore. Um, I don't get that sense that he's a guy that they're going to lean heavily on just because there's still four or five running backs ahead of him that have earned it. And for for one guy to overtake somebody under Pete Carroll, not only do you have to play better, but that guy's got to kind of step down too a little bit. So it'll be difficult. All right. Uh, second part of his question. Um, back in the day, the old system, it always mattered if you when you lost. If you lost early, that was way better than losing late. But last year, USC loses early. They still never can recover. They actually lost a little bit of ground to everybody else. And uh, so he was concerned, you know, when it comes to the BCS, is it is it hated? Does USC hated 
in the BCS, or is it something to do with the Pac-10? What's going on there? Because it seems like they set themselves up, USC did, to, to lose early, and then it should have been able to recover, but they never did. Um, I think the problems are the, with the conference um, and the, the respect to the conference. Uh, who's? I mean, obviously, you, could, you can point at Oregon as being the second-best team in the conference, you know, over the course of you know the last five years or something like that. But they're, they're still not consistently that, that kind of 10-win team that you want as number two. I mean, you know, what makes the Big 12 so good is that they have Texas and they have Oklahoma. And then you have Texas Tech. And then you have Missouri. I mean, those are four teams that you can play that, in, in the eyes of the nation at least, were national title contenders last year. Um, yeah, USC played Ohio State. That was one. Um, Notre Dame was garbage. You know, UCLA wasn't any good. I mean, those teams aren't good. They they just don't have the opportunities in conference to pick up those marquee wins where you can kind of erase, you know, the idea of a loss. Now, Oregon State turned out to be a pretty good team last year. At the time, though, nobody thought that. I mean, Oregon State had just come off of, you know, getting drubbed by Penn State. And, and the the feeling was that, you know, this wasn't a great football team. Well, they, you know, they competed for the conference title all the way up to the last game. So, you know, they, they did good things, but still the perception of the nation was that, you know, USC, you know, won a, again in the Pac-10, and they won by beating, you know, inferior opponents. Whether that's true or not, I, I really don't think it I don't think it is 100%. I think that there are going to be good teams in the Pac-10 this year, but, the, you know, the league has to do its job out of conference. Um, I think what really hurt the Pac-10 last year was the way they played against the WAC and – um, or the Mountain, was it the WAC or the Mountain West? Mountain West. Mountain West, yeah. sorry, the old WAC. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the way that they did against, you know, play teams like BYU and stuff like that, like in Utah, and th- those teams all came in. Boise and, State. Boise Everybody. State, yeah, those teams all came in and took wins from Pac-10 teams early. And if, you know, it's hard to make an argument for you the know, strength Maryland, of the conference. Cal loses to Maryland. I think it was Cal to Maryland. Yeah. Uh, you know, Penn State killing Oregon State. US, I mean, the Pac-10 went 5-0 and in bowl games, which is nice. And maybe that's one way where the, the bad bowl alignments, you can get maybe advantages over some of the teams mm-hmm. you play in bowl games. The most important thing, just never forget this, the Pac-10 has to do well this preseason, the out-of-conference games. Unless they go out and beat some of these teams, they're playing three SEC teams, I think. Yeah. They go 0-3. Like, it's never gonna, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the season. It's going to hurt them nationally the perception is going to be bad and it's going to hurt usc because they need cal to go out and win a big out of conference game or arizona state to win you know yeah arizona state can't roll over to it what ended up being a not great notre dame is very important for usc oh yeah and and we We, talked about this at the dinner the best thing that happened to usc last year i mean besides winning the rose bowl was notre dame getting a, a a win at Hawaii and everybody thinking now that Notre Dame has turned the corner and they're a national title contender because if they go 10 and two or 11 and one or whatever it is, that's a huge help. And that's another BCS team that, that USC is going to play and win and and beat hopefully. I mean, you know, from, from a Trojan fan standpoint, I mean, that's, I think you want those, you want those opportunities and, you know, Pete Carroll's done his job by scheduling guys like Ohio state and playing tough teams out of conference. You also get that one less out of conference game, which I think hurts because right. of, because of the Pac-10 schedule. So you don't get that that another crack at say, you know, if Pete Carroll, if if USC were to play at Ohio State and were to host Georgia this year, if those were their out of conference games, you know what I mean, and, and and you win both of those, then maybe you can lose to Oregon or Oregon State early in the schedule, win out the rest of the way. And now you can say, you know what, you know, we've got wins over Ohio State, we've got wins over Georgia, beat Notre Dame. You know, you, you start to build your resume that way. You looked at USC's resume last year, and and part of it too was that their their road games and conference weren't that difficult. Sure, they didn't they didn't have the the tough trip. Um, but this year, this year different. that's different. I, yeah. I think I think this year, obviously, if they obviously it goes without saying, if they go undefeated, they're 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 going to be in the national championship game. That being said, I, I do think that this this year sets up as a situation where they can lose once, um, you know, maybe at Cal, maybe at Oregon, where um, they can kind of get back to where they need to be. It's almost better if they lose to a good team because that'll boost kind of the the sure. the con- conference's uh, value in, in the eyes of the BCS versus 
you know, in the past when they've lost to, to Stanford and then you get left out or UCLA in the or, process because, yeah. you know, you, you take a bigger hit by losing to a team that's per, that's perceived not to be a very good football team. So I hope that answers the question. It's convoluted. Yeah. It, I don't think the BCS has it out for any school. Um, I think that USC has just been on the, the kind of raw end of the the deal here a couple times, just mostly because of the Pac-10. Um, the conference really needs that number two team to establish itself and maybe even a three team. Um, to to kind of boost the the perception of the conference, you don't want teams in the top twenty five per se, but you want teams in the top twenty. Okay, and I think that's been the Pac ten's problem. All right, uh, last question. This one's from Mark. Um, you know, with the Frankie Telford situation, Pete Carroll said he's honoring the scholarship. He just wanted to know. I mean, he, he felt bad asking this question, but when you had something like that happens, a medical thing, it doesn't count towards the 85 scholarship limit, right? No, um, that, that there's provisions for that. Um, you look at a guy like Matt Meyer, um, last year who, who was still on scholarship at USC, that, that scholarship will not count against, uh, against USC. Um, I talked to Rocky Seto about this and, and that was his understanding of it too, was that it's, it's not going to count against them. Um, not to say that if it did, that they wouldn't have done it. Um, I don't, I, I would imagine that they still would have, but, you know, from a football standpoint, no, it won't hurt you. Um, the NCAA is actually – that's one of the areas where they're good about putting the interest of the athlete first above the interest of the the institution. Now, is it going to cost USC? Yeah, it'll cost them their tuition. But, I mean, they can probably handle that, I think. I think yeah. I all, think. all your big donors out there. Thank, thank, <laughs> you know, you see Frankie Telford. Exactly. All right. Well, Dan, thanks. We had uh, all those questions. We're getting a ton of questions. I think the season starts, too. We're going to get a ton more. So we appreciate – all those questions you guys are sending in, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We kind of usually get some like the day of the podcast. People think, oh, I want to ask a question. And then they kind of trickle in and they would get a whole bunch of, like on the Tuesday. Just think about this too, Ryan. Next week on the podcast, we can talk about football. Fall camp. Finally. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I mean, I think you guys, you know, I don't want to toot our own horns here for a second. But I think you guys sometimes don't realize that it's it's hard to, to always talk about stuff when there's not a ton going on. Sure. I mean, like, I don't want to say, I mean, there's still stuff going on, but I mean, this is so exciting. I, you know, I was talking to a couple other reporters at Pac-10 Media Day, and that's the feeling. It's like people, you know, you think the players are ready for for the season. I mean, the reporters, we're all ready too because we want to see this team practice. We want to see this team play games yeah. because, you know, for since January, we've just watched them play to, play each other. You know, right, and I think we're ready to finally kind of see them start to install a game plan, start working towards San Jose State and the start of the year, and kind of see what happens. All right, well, Dan, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with you next week, and we'll be able to talk about real football. Awesome. All right, everyone else, thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you again next week. Stay tuned. Peristylepodcast dot com next Wednesday. See you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 